Well, what would you say to me? If I was doing an interview where I wanted someone to say exactly something, I would just tell you, them what to say. You give them the lines? <laughs> I would say, Here. hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. Say and it. I do blah, blah, blah for a living. Okay, so, <laughs> so that's what exactly what I want you to say. Uh, <laughs> hi, my name is Shasha Nakai, and I am a filmmaker. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. How was your banana bread this morning? It was great. Yeah. Not too sugary, which is just how I like it. Yeah. You're health. You're on a health kick. No. No. You just don't like sweet stuff. I don't like unnecessary. Unnecessarily. Sugar. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> um, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. I know you're probably very busy, um, but I was excited that uh you 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 you've, you've come here you're putting together this film called scarborough uh, i read the book earlier this year so it was a fantastic book so we'll talk a lot about that uh, so i'm really really excited that you're here but um let's start from the beginning um born in the philippines uh grew up in nigeria that's a big that's two different places so like yeah your parents in civil service or how does how does that happen no uh, my dad was a student from iran okay and he um so persian background yes okay and he moved to the philippines okay and he met my mom there my mom's filipino okay and both of them were civil engineers and at the time, there were a lot of people from all over the world moving to Nigeria because of the booming oil industry. So there were a so lot of roads to be built yeah, and a lot yeah. of bridges to be made. Okay. <laughs> How long were you guys in Nigeria for? Uh, my my mom's now been in Nigeria for about 40 years. So my parents... Still there? Yeah, my parents first moved to Nigeria okay. about 40 years ago. Oh, wow. And I lived there for 15 years. Yeah. And then you came here as a student on yeah. a student visa. Yeah. Still on that student visa? No, I became Canadian last year. Canadian? Mm -hmm. See, I don't know whether I want to <laughs> say congratulations to that. Yeah, because I get health care and get, okay. <laughs> like I can seek asylum if I don't know. <laughs> if, You're here. If, no, I mean, if if things go wrong and I'm somewhere else in the world, I'll get flown out with a chopper. Yeah. As opposed to just being left to my own devices. Fair enough. <laughs> That is fair enough. <laughs> although, although it, it's you must admit that it, it's it's weird. You come from like, like my wife is from East Africa, and my parents were from, my well, my parents had to had to leave, um, so we were essentially refugees. Um, but like, it's so cold in this country, you know, so so cold. Like for my birthday, I went to Ottawa, mm -hmm. like the coldest capital in the world. You Why? Know? Because you're Canadian. Well, I know, which is weird. And I don't even like hockey. Have you come around to that yet? Not really. No? No. <laughs> no. Um, so your parents civil engineers. How does filmmaking, like where does filmmaking come in? I honestly have no idea why. I think I at first I went to journalism school. Okay. Um, I was coming out of high school mm -hmm. at a time when the Iraq war was beginning. Um, okay. and I just really admired the correspondents that were on the ground and trying to provide balanced coverage amidst yeah. everything that was going on. And I had originally wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And in my fourth year of journalism school, we did, um, 
we did a documentary. And so that's when I got the idea that I could actually do documentary for a living. Okay. What documentary did you did you put together? I did a 20-minute documentary about Filipino caregivers. Um, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it played a bunch of festivals, too, which was cool. Really? Yeah, it's a student oh. film, which was great. What was your take on it? Um, it was following... It was a long time ago now. That was like <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But it was following two main characters, um, one of which actually passed away during the filming. Oh. And... Um, she died of cancer and she didn't have any benefits, any coverage, health coverage. Sure. And another woman was trying to bring her children from the Philippines and she was getting denied um, because her one son had cerebral palsy and so he was inadmissible to Canada. Uh, so it was following, huh. you know, two very different people but kind of trying to navigate the system. Yeah. Give me some insight. What is it about Filipinos and caregiving? Is 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 it is it a thing? It's very much a thing. It's very much how a lot of people, a lot of Filipinos, come to Canada okay. as caregivers. Like yeah. I have two cousins here that came. Oh. You know, they went to university for totally different degrees, but they ended up coming here as a route to Canada. Yeah. They came as caregivers. Huh. They no longer are caregivers. Sure. Um, but that's their the way they came to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Why is, why is it just cuz we I've seen it and you've seen Filipinos as caregivers or is is that when people think of caregivers they automatically think of Filipinos like why is that why does it seem to be that Filipinos are the caregivers of of Canadian families? You know, it's a combination of many things. Okay. A combination of the f country's colonial history. Um, you know, being colonized by this by Spain and um, the USA, um, that kind of I don't like to generalize, but sure. if you were to kind of you know talk about all the different forces playing into it, that kind of like being forced to be subservient to mm. you know foreigners' needs, and um, a big part of it is the the government prioritizing exporting its own people. As a commodity, because so it's an actual industry. Yes, the government very much prioritizes sending people overseas rather than, you know, there's a lot of people who need jobs, and it's kind of like a pressure cooker. And so you send some of them overseas to let off the steam, and they send back tons of money in remittances because Filipinos always send back money, send back money back home. Mm. So, yeah, it's a whole. It's a huge part of the economy. Interesting. Yeah. And not just um, nannies yeah. um, and nurses. It's also like seamen. A lot of Filipinos find um, a lot of men, yeah. Filipino men, find work overseas in huh. oil and gas and, and um, seafaring. Interesting. Yeah. Have you been back <laughs> recently to the... Um, you, is that still home for you? I don't know where is my home anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's now Canada. Is it now Canada? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. organized toque? You, well, yes. I the other day, well, actually, this is really Canadian. I bought these like oh, I'm not going to show them to you now, but they're like <laughs> red plaid pants, which is as very Canadian. I don't know why I just wanted them. And I <laughs> and I don't know what happened to me, so. And the Shasha from Nigeria and the Philippines would never No. have purchased red no. plaid pants. No, I don't know what happened. <laughs> You're Canadian. 
I think so. Yeah, yeah I, think I think that, that, that now defines you can now have your citizenship. Yeah. <laughs> it's not knowing oh Canada. <laughs> it's getting the plaid it's getting the plaid pants. Um what, so so while you were at Ryerson, right? While yeah. you were at Ryerson and you, and you do this documentary, um, was that sort of your the aha moment saying I can I can this is my way to report on what's going on in the world? Yeah, I thought um, you know when I made that fifteen minute documentary in my final year at Ryerson. I had also taken a class about documentary, okay. and the professor very much encouraged me to volunteer at Hot Docs, and I did that. Uh-huh. And I saw like thirty films, like just by volunteering and sitting in the back of theaters. Yeah. Um, and I just loved fell in love with documentary. And I had met my partner Rich at the time, and he was going to school for film. Mm-hmm. So we kind of combined that journalism and film, and and kind of started working together after that. Okay. Interesting. Um, what was your so when you graduate? Is it like okay, let's let's start doing this? Is that how it basically comes together? Yeah, I, I vol- I, I did a lot of really odd jobs for the first year. I interned uh-huh. while working sure. for PlayStation, like and doing like promo jobs. Tell me about where PlayStation. Where you hand out free stuff? My you know? my. So oh, so you're one of those people giving out free stuff, or were you like? an awesome gamer and playstations paying you to play games really yeah 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 so i played i did that to make money while i was doing an internship at a production company yeah like doing demos okay and uh yeah running tournaments and stuff like that what are your thoughts on all this like esports stuff going on um it's great i've done a lot of um tournaments like call of duty tournaments as a referee it's really fun yeah really they have them in the scotiabank theater yeah they it's like a sporting event. I'm actually going to a bar right after this on St. Clair and Bloor. Oh. It's like an esports bar. Oh, cool. Yeah. Just to check it out and see what's going on with this whole industry. I've got a 12-year-old that loves playing games. So I'm saying, okay, let's see if there's something in here. Yeah. I, I mean, can... people treat it like it's a sport. Yeah. And they take it very seriously. Like people, are, this is their career. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was your, so you, your partner's name again was? Rich Williams. Rich. You and Rich started, is it Canopy? Compy. Sorry, Compy. I'm sorry, Compy. It wasn't. Compy films. It wasn't called Compy back then, but we started collaborating together. Okay. And the first film we worked on was called The Sugar Bowl. Okay. And. What was that about? Made with a measly, measly Toronto Arts Council grant. And a credit card, and yeah. uh, it was about the sugar industry on the island that I was born on in the Philippines. Ah, and so we we co-directed that together. Okay, and it did really well. It, it, it didn't premiere at Relation. Yeah, it did. It screened at Relation and did a whole festival tour, and it did really well. Yeah, that was your first film. That was my first independent one outside <coughs> of school. Yeah. So tell me about that process in terms of. You know, I've, I I understand there's this whole grant industry, you know, that you apply for to get money from like 15 different places, and like you said, credit cards. I'm sure <laughs> friends and family are also a source, maybe. Yeah. It's some crowdfunding, yes. We did some crowdfunding. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, so what, like, as as you build these, um, these movies, um, or these documentaries, let's call them that. Um, you know, what's what's what sort of stories are you looking to tell? Is it stories that you're just familiar with? 
I people ask me that and I have no idea how to answer because yeah. I like if you look at the stuff that I've worked on it's ranged wildly from mm -hmm. doc to fiction and docs that are very character driven docs that are issue based docs that are more survey essay films huh. they're all very different yeah but I and I now want to do horror so it's just like <laughs> it runs the gamut but I think um, everything I do, of course, is informed by my background. Yeah. And I try to, I try to focus on international stories that resonate strongly around the world versus mm. just very hyper local. Yeah. Yeah. I guess being in Toronto, that that makes sense as well, right? Because people from all over the world <clears throat> that that live here. Um, so what was it called? Sugar. The sugar bowl. The sugar bowl. Yeah. So that comes out. Yeah. What is what does what does success look like? I mean, for me, it was just for me, success was just playing at the Relation Film Festival, yeah. and then it played at Atlanta. It played it played at like twenty festivals and yeah. won awards too. Okay. Um, just having made it, I was really that was I was so happy just having made it and having screened it at a festival. Yeah. Tell me about the documentary industry. Um, you know, I can understand that you make something and CBC picks it up. You know, they pay a fee or whatever for for exclusive rights, maybe or something. What's what's the? Um, let me come out and say it. How do, how does one make money in documentaries? That's a very good question. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the answer. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll come back to you when All I right. know. <laughs> uh. Yeah, you don't really. You just make enough to live. Yeah? Yeah. So this is a passion for you. Yeah. I'm still in the process of monetizing it. <laughs> but is it like, I know that um, I watched, what did I watch? I watched the, the Hole in Reservoir Hill. I watched that today. That played on CBC, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. CBC, I'm assuming they pay for the rights to show that. Yeah. And whoever else shows that they pay. Yeah, they commissioned it. They commissioned yeah. it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, so some stories people come to you to make rather than you wanting to make something? Um, no, it's often we come up with the ideas yeah? and we pitch them. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that movie. That was very... My brother went to uh, Nipissing University in North Bay. And it was interesting. I texted him today. I said, but without checking Google... Hmm. What is the hole in Reservoir Hill? He goes, I, I don't know. <laughs> and then he says, oh, I, I looked at it. And yes, I know about the bunker yeah. in North Bay. Yeah. I was shocked. Not a lot of people know about it. No. Yeah. So it's literally they dug a hole in this hill? Yeah, it's a comp underground complex that can house up to 400 people to work in underground. And yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And the movie starts off with this guy buying like a... What did, he, what did he buy? A box? He, yeah, he got. He made this bunker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he made the bunker. I thought he bought well, a bunker off of it. eBay or yeah, something. Yeah, he bought like it. That. Yeah. And then he made it into a, an Airbnb. Oh, that's an really? Yeah. <laughs> you can stay there if you want. <laughs> um, did you? Were you able to go in the hole? No. No. We only went in the tunnel. Oh, in the, the tunnel, yeah. The tunnel that leads down to it because there's falling rock. The lights were on though. I noticed. Yes. Did they just do that for you guys? I don't know. Okay. We like the mystery element and we like <laughs> preserving it because yeah. it's really fun to see. It's really fun to see what people's imaginations come up with. Yeah. 
I was like, okay, are they going to go anywhere? And then I go, there really is a place like this. That is fascinating. Um, I want to, I was, I wasn't able to watch the whole thing. Um, but I want to, you gotta watch it. <laughs> no, I watched the whole, I watched the whole, the whole I watched all of the whole. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the next, I want to talk about frame 394. Um, you want a bunch of awards for that one, right? Mm-hmm. That one was the one that got shortlisted for the Oscar. Yeah. That means you were nominated. Almost. Almost nominated? We were on the list of 10 that became five. Okay, you weren't the five though, but you were the ten. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, that is great. that is that yeah. is amazing. Um, how did how did you come to that movie? That film just happened. Yeah, we uh, Rich's friend. He knew the guy. Oh, he knew the guy. Yeah, he knew they had went to film school together. Wow. And so his friend just called him up and told him about this insane thing. And at first, I didn't. I was like, guys, this isn't a story like that you're interested in this. But then when the lawyer of the police officer was actually talking to him and entertaining the idea of him being an expert witness yeah then that's when i thought okay there's this there's an actual story here now and yeah um that's interesting yeah and you guys made that before the was it before the trial yeah you guys made it it before the trial right it was released after the trial when you were making it after the trial began when you were making it, did you already have an idea or did you already have a position on guilty, not guilty? For the police officer? Yeah. I mean, I obviously, like many other people, saw the video and was angry. Sure. And um, was upset that this mm-hmm. happened. And, and throughout the whole thing, continued to feel that there should be um, penalties. Mm-hmm. for doing something like that and it's and but at the same time i found it interesting that this random guy you know who doesn't have any training in something mm-hmm. out of his passion for uncovering the truth yeah spent so many hours of his time to dig so deep and that's what fascinated me because i like many other people consume things in like little snippets sure. and and, you know, I quickly passed judgment immediately on many things. Mm-hmm. And so it was just interesting to me that someone would go to such lengths for the truth. Yeah. And the truth being multiple truths. <laughs> and it was interesting to see his story go from, you know, what an idiot the cop is to, oh, damn, the cop might have a reasoning behind yeah, what he did. Yeah, what he did is still wrong, <clears throat> but in within the flawed system yeah, that exists... People are missing out on something here. He could potentially have used that loophole that was created for that purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, the underscoring of the whole film is that, obviously, he shot a man in the back when he was running away. Yeah. It's underscored the beginning, the middle, the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of a peek behind the curtain as to the machinations of the system that allowed it to happen and that might allow it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was a very, very uh, challenging and complex film to work on. When you, the way the film ends, 
Um, did you were there talks between you and your partner in terms of let's wait, let's finish it after everything is done, or did you want is that or did you make a conscious decision? No, let's end it here because that's where this guy's input into the story ends. A lot of the decisions were made by Rich Williamson, who edited, shot, and directed it. Okay. But he had very, very heavy input from myself and yeah. um, Shireen Barsoom, who was the story producer on it. Okay. And um, from the beginning, we knew that it had to be a more journalistic approach. Okay. In that, obviously, if you're talking about a court case, you have to have elements from both angles. You have to... Um, but at the same time, we always knew that we wanted to show the story of a guy who was focusing in so much on the micro details, but then we knew that we wanted to eventually zoom out mm -hmm. and connect the dots and show the bigger picture. Yeah. You know, like here's someone looking at the little pixels. Here's the actual moving picture. Um, and so we knew that that was something we had to do. Sure. To do it properly. We didn't necessarily feel like we had enough time to do it. Because okay. we were very like we pitched a, we pitched a ten minute film. It ended up being twenty nine minutes. Oh wow! <laughs> but we knew like we knew that it would be irresponsible to just show the story of the guy doing the thing without giving a little bit of context. Yeah, yeah. At least, yeah. Interesting. Um. So it gets nominated or mm -hmm. it gets shortlisted. Mm -hmm. Um, what is what does that mean for you guys? Or what do, what did that mean? You guys are excited. You're happy. Yeah. What does it? What does that mean for your your business, your career? It's. I mean, it's great in that a lot of people, you know, getting shortlisted for the Oscars is great. A lot of people who are more senior in this industry definitely respect us more, mm -hmm. and it's people know you a bit more now. It gets a little bit easier. It's never never becomes easy sure. to make films, but at the same time, it gave me a peek behind the curtain to see what Oscars are really all about. I learned about how much money you need to have an Oscar campaign. I learned so about... So there's an actual campaign. Yeah. People wow. campaign hard. Yeah. And I learned about all the things people do to campaign and it truly is a lot about how much money you spend on your marketing and hmm. how much money you have. So... Were you guys... Did you guys do any of that? Were you prepared for that or was it just let's just sit on the merits of the film? You know, we had hired a publicist in the States who represents, every year he re represents some of the nominees. Yeah. And he did a little bit of press for us. Yeah. But at the same time, had I known and had I been prepared and had our broadcaster known and been more prepared or actually known about what the Oscars were, um, we would have been ready, I think, and we would have put a lot of energy into the front end as opposed to just waiting and seeing like, oh, let's see if we got nominated. You actually have to work yeah. to get nominated. Like huh. the NFB gets nominated for animation every year, but, you know, little do a lot of people know that they fly out all their directors to Pixar so they can meet people and people know their names and they know their faces. And, you know, it's a huge campaign. Yeah. Right? That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. I know you had someone on the film from Black Lives Matter. Yeah, um, Did did they? What what were their thoughts on what you guys were doing? Mohideen is the guy who showed the video to um, 
he was the guy. So Faden, who shot the video, yeah. showed the video for the very first time to the family of Walter Scott, as well as Muhyiddin, who is the Black Lives Matter guy who's in the in the film. Yeah. He was very critical in deciding and pushing Faden to make this video public. Oh, wow. So that's why he's a very big part of the film. Yeah. Um, you know, Muhyiddin and I connected very much because, like, we we're, we're brought up kind of in the same religion. Like, we are much, very much about, you know, building bridges of understanding and, um, hmm. and seeing nuance and complexity, but understand, yeah, understanding the different ways that, that things can be done. I don't know. We, he very much became friends with Dan after Dan, the main character. Oh, wow. And, um, Dan was helping him out with, um, some social media stuff because Muhyiddin at the time was concerned with like um, people being able to access his Facebook messages and kind of hacking stuff. Yeah, mm. and 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 police knowing where he was and things like that. Especially because he was an organizer, um, he wasn't a violent agitator, but he was concerned about those things. And I think him and Dad became friends, and huh. they they shared tips on technology and. And um, and stuff like that. I think that um, actually Muhyiddin actually passed away. He was shot in. Um, oh no! In New Orleans, yeah, unfortunately. Oh jeez. And they actually, they just recently found out that the guy that shot him—it was an attempted robbery or something like that. Yeah, it was really sad. That wow. Yeah. Did the local, <coughs> you guys being in Toronto. Did the local chapter have any? My my thinking was, I wonder if they were mad or angry at the position that you know, the film was taking. That there's here here's a loophole. Yeah, I think that the way we did it, if you really take a look at it, is actually very balanced mm -hmm. and careful. And uh, no, we didn't have any comments from here about it. Yeah. Um, the reactions to it actually completely ran the gamut okay it was very interesting to see how you reacted to the film depending completely on your biases and your background sure like some people came out and they were like oh i love dan and some people came out and they're like i hate him well, who's this white boy like i don't care and some people were like oh i want to know more about the technology he used and some people were like oh i only want to film about the black lives matter guy and so it it ran the complete gamut. Yeah. Dan the, looks very conflicted. You know, sort of long film, but he looked very conflicted on what he was doing. And even after he met with the lawyers, he was, it still felt that he wasn't sure. Well, no, he, there was a part in it where there was some footage that he wasn't able to see. The The lawyer had some... What was that, what was that footage all about? Um, if I remember correctly, I think he had wanted complete dash cam audio and the lawyer was not able to provide that to him. Okay. And I think maybe he said he was going to send it in the mail and maybe never did. Huh. I don't know. I can't comment on this yeah, yeah, legally yeah. but yeah, yeah. because it didn't happen to me. But, um, yeah. Did Do you know if he ever testified? No, no. Dan did not. He did he not? He did not, no. Ah. Um, I think... I mean, you can speculate as to many reasons why. Yeah. You could perhaps look at um, his lack of experience as an expert witness. He wasn't technically an expert, yeah. Um, 
although the expert witness that they end did end up using did cover a lot of the same the similar same points. Yeah. Interesting. Take light. That's your more most recent. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, the, the the film for a number of reasons. One, you're actually from the hometown. Your hometown is actually the the subject mm -hmm. uh, of the film. Um, there's this whole idea of regular blackouts um, in that town, if not the whole country. Um, you know, my family's from East Africa, and that happens on a very regular basis. But what's different about Nigeria is that they're an oil-rich, energy-rich country. Um, what was, at the outset, what, for, for Take Light, what, what did you want, what story did you want to, to tell? Uh, the, the idea behind Take Light really came from the Nepa man, like the guy who cuts the power. Okay. That was kind of like a mythological character growing up. It was someone I saw occasionally. I always heard about blamed for everything. And I remember once when I was younger, they burned down a power station because the a mob burned down the power station because the power went out during a football match, like a soccer match. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and so it was kind of this character that got blamed for everything. And I just found it fascinating. And I wondered, it, it would, I thought it would be fun to enter the world of the crisis, but through the, this very ground level yeah. entry point. And unfortunately, fortunately, but unfortunately, I didn't really want to go into like a lot of the news reports and all that, but a lot of people here didn't have that background to be able to even grasp what was going on. Mm -hmm. So I had to provide a little bit of context sure. into what was happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it happened. Was that your first time going back? No. No? no. You've, so you've been back? Yeah. I, went, I would go back like one or two times yeah. a year. Yeah. What did mom and dad think about the story you were telling? Um, well, my dad has since passed away, but my mom, uh, she finds it hilarious. Really? She finds she finds the film hilarious just because there's like places and things she can recognize in it. Okay. But, but yeah. But the story in general, what did, she, what did she think about what you're doing? I'm curious. I, I think that um, about in me being a documentary. Yeah. Uh, hmm, that's interesting. Well, she supports me. She's like my number one fan. Okay. Yeah. That seemed like a very politically correct. Yeah, answer. she's my number one fan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no, sure she would probably. No I'm sure she would probably like it if I Going did something more financially, <laughs> you know, rewarding. But yeah. no, she's our number one fan. Truly. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's good. Um. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> what did? I, I saw you gave an interview, and it seemed like everybody in the film was cool with you guys doing the film, which is astonishing because you're very. It's, it, the film is critical of the whole system, of of um, I don't know what the terminology is, but when you like burn off this Flare. excess flares, yeah, right. You've got that that are you know burning off energy essentially, yeah. Um, you know, people not being able to afford, and you know, just as like, was everyone cool with what you guys were doing in Nigeria? Well. Not that you care as a, um, as a filmmaker, I'm I sure. Think, but. I think a big part of diffusing, there's automatically arms and, like, alarm bells that go off. Obviously, me mm. looking the way I do 
okay. when I enter a scenario, but... Meaning what, that you're a female or a woman? Or? Both. I'm a woman, but also I look like I'm a foreigner, that I don't okay. belong there. Sure, sure, sure. And sure. then, so every situation, I took the time, and I speak pidgin, like okay. Nigerian pidgin, and so once I would start doing that, people would be like, okay. It's okay. She's you know? from here. Yeah, yeah. And I and is a lot pigeon, of the is that places like or is that like a yes, local okay. Yes. Right. And a lot of the places we shot I live very close to. So I would just be like, I grew up in this village right next to here. Yeah. And so and so and so are my parents. A lot of people would know my parents or work with them at some point. So just mm. taking the time to do that helped people understand like it was a story from someone who had lived it and who had lived there. Yeah. And it wasn't going to be just like an investigation or expose into the corruption or anything like that. And is this still going on? Is there any progress being made? I mean, there's very little. There's progress being made, but mm -hmm. to the average person, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It doesn't seem like anything has changed. A lot has, yeah. but it's not noticeable to the no. average person. You premiered it in, in you, you actually, I don't know, maybe premier is the wrong word, but you showed it at an African film festival. What was that like? That was just last week. That was and just last week? Yeah, and I okay. was really sad because I wanted to go. Well, you didn't go. They were going to pay for me to go, but they told me too late. Uh. And I couldn't get, like, the visa, the uh. visa process is, like, takes, like, a month. And I was like, I can't, uh. I can't confirm and buy, have a ticket bought if I don't know if I can come or not, you know? Where, so. where in Africa did it, was it? In Lagos. Okay. Yeah, in Nigeria. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Did, did any feedback? Do you know how it was received? Um, not really, because oh. I actually didn't even know when it was playing until after, so I couldn't so even nobody tell. Went? Nobody no, went? I have my crew in Nigeria that okay. worked on the film, and they were like waiting for me to tell them when the premiere was, and, and you didn't even. I know? didn't even know until after. Oh. But it sucks. But thankfully, my um, the local producer who worked with us, she had a. A film called The Nigerian Prince that premiered at Tribeca, and yeah. she was able to go to that. But yeah, uh, where where else, this, where else has this where else has this played? Uh, so it's played in Durban, South Africa. Okay, it's played in Atlanta and Cleveland and Sudbury, and of all places, and Hot Talks here in Toronto. That's oh wow. it so far. Yeah, and what's what's been the feedback so far? I uh, my favorite part of watching the film is when there's Nigerians in the audience. Yeah. Because they're usually the loudest and like sure. laugh, laugh and okay. like I find that like sometimes Canadians don't know if it's okay to laugh at some points or they're supposed oh. they don't know if they're supposed to sometimes or yeah so the best the best times have been when there have been Nigerians and and Nigerians coming up to me at the end and and saying how much they enjoyed it wow yeah so you've made a film from your birthplace Philippines. Then where you grew up in Nigeria, mm -hmm. are you from Scarborough? No, I'm not. Local? Okay. No, but you're you're starting to make this film. I'm Filipino though, which is the lead story in the the book. In the book in Scarborough. Mm -hmm. um, how did this come about? Uh, I've known Catherine for about ten years now. Oh wow! Okay. She she was in the the short film I did about Filipino nannies. All right. And um, then. The Real Asian Film Festival paired her and I to do a dance film together. Again, a caregiver story. She p performed in it. Okay. And we made that film with like two cents and a couple of sticks. And um, 
She really liked the way Rich and I worked with her. All right. And how I guess she really liked us. And, yeah, she had been approached by two other production companies. Oh, wow. To option the book, and she said no. Yeah. And she approached us. And um, at first I was like, no, I, I should pick someone, like, famous to do this, you know? And really? Really? But then I thought about it. I'm like, when have I ever seen Filipino-ness done right in Canadian film? Rarely ever. It's almost always done wrong. Who's Except for if it's film? by Romeo, like, who's a friend of mine. or, um, Yeah, it's... And so I'm like, you know what? If I can bring that to the table, make sure that's done accurately, and build a coalition of amazing people who can bring authenticity to each of the million... Huh. <laughs> There's a million issues and a million communities... Um, contained within this beautiful universe of Scarborough. Yeah. You know, you have a child who has a developmental disability. Yeah. You have indigenous characters and indigenous yes. elements. I'm trying to remember the Filipino character. Is the main character Bing. The oh, the, the, the gay guy. boy coming yeah. out. Yeah. And so that is the primary... Um, Was he the main character in the book? He and I the found, two other children. Yeah, I found... Yeah, it, it, like each chapter was different. Oh, man. Yeah, and that that's okay. very much comes from a personal place for Catherine. Yeah. Her being queer and like, you know, having not necessarily having a family who was so accepting of that. Mm -hmm. So it's Bing was like her dream of and, and a Bing's lot of friend. a lot of the characters and a lot of the stories come from real very real places from Catherine's experiences and yeah. also people she knows and have talked to. That is so cool. So you've started casting. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the East Indian guy in his forties. <laughs> to show up <laughs> we, we, well we we've only Is done one round <laughs> we've only done one round but as you know scarborough is so diverse we're gonna yeah. need a, a ton of a ton a of other you. roles i'm you asking should, you this because i want to be in the film you should you should be in the film <laughs> when the time comes yeah we're trying to focus on our leads right now which, of course which is the most important um now is now is this You've done tons of stuff outside of of Compi and Storyline, but most of the stuff I saw, there were documentaries. Mm -hmm. Is this your first fiction? No, like, like, I produced a, okay. a fiction short, an Arts Council-funded fiction short, okay. and also many, many web fiction shorts. Oh, okay, The okay, kind okay. where you ask your friend to play a role. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Catherine really wanted us to be documentary filmmakers because... Oh. Um, she wanted that authenticity and that feeling of realness mm -hmm. that she didn't feel a lot of the people or a lot of films that she had seen had Okay. in this landscape. Are you directing the movie or producing I'm it? I'm producing it. Who's directing it? Rich is directing it. Rich is directing it. it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Catherine wrote the screenplay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she wrote the screenplay as well? Yeah, she did. Ah, so that's done. Mm -hmm. So right now you're casting. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you casting... Is it important for your team to cast Scarborough residents? I'm curious. Um, for our crew, we are we have preferred Scarborough, especially for key roles, okay. like and and people who are going to be collaborating with us to expand the story universe. Yeah. But for for casting, we're bar we're having a hard time barely getting enough. Sure. Like no problem with all the white roles but the people of color <laughs> roles we're having a really hard time yeah finding people in general yeah so we can't be picky with those sure but but we have been spending a lot of time at the scarborough town center randomly approaching children <laughs> and their parents 
Approaching children. <laughs> that security stuff. How many times does security stuff? <laughs> no. Um, no, we've only, we only do it a couple of times when we see a kid who, especially for Bing, who like really fits the, the role. Yeah. Then we just tell the parents. and Who you guys are and what yeah, you're doing. Yeah. Wow. We, we, that's how we, what we've resorted to. <laughs> There's not enough diverse actors. I mean, there are. But, but I read, didn't I read in a tweet? But they're actors. Not- yeah, like you're not looking for, like, what are you not? I saw somewhere that you weren't looking for Actra. No, we're not. You're not looking for Actra. No, unfortunately, I've talked to Actra and many people in this program have. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, their terms and conditions are not don't really jive with the renegade filmmaking spirit of this program and the way we are doing it. Okay, so what, now what does that mean if you're not an quote unquote Actra film? What does that mean for the film itself? Well, it means that we can cast real people with lived experiences. Okay. So, you know, a sex worker who's actually a sex worker, perhaps, or, wow. you know, a hijabi maybe who's actually Muslim yeah. and wears one all the time, you know, or um, the storekeeper is actually the storekeeper mm-hmm. um, in a very documentary style. Oh, wow. So, um, does it mean anything for distribution at all or no? No, if or you funding. get release, no, if you get releases, that's fine. Okay. It, you can't. Uh, yeah. I don't know because I'm not in the space. Yeah. What, what all of this sort of means? Yeah. So it means like we mean? can shoot documentary style, <coughs> and okay. as long as we get releases and permission from any, everyone that appears in it, yeah. it means that we can have real people who live in the communities that we're filming in be in the film too. Okay. That's great. Are you so? Is this going to be like a feature film? Yeah. Length. Yeah. 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 We can go to Cineplex at the Scarborough Town Center. Hopefully one day. We'll see. We'll one, see. You make it sound like it's going to be so far in the future. Well, we're not shooting until the end of next year. Oh, wow. So still a year to go. Yeah, we were originally going to try to shoot it now. but. So what happens between now and then? We take our time to do casting. We have okay. a lot of roles to fill. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's no, like, so that's the pre, is that, is that called pre-production? That's the pre-production mm-hmm, The pre-production phase. And... There's a pyramid with filmmaking. It goes okay. like cheap, fast, cheap, fast, good or something like that. Okay. It's like a golden period. Basically, if you want to do something without any money yeah, and if it's going to be good, you need to spend a lot of time on it. So this is one of those things? So the more time you have, especially because I'm doing like five jobs myself, uh-huh. um, the better. Okay. Yeah. So why did you want to make this film? I can understand why Catherine wants it made into a film. Yeah. Why did you want to make this film? When I read the book, I was really, really moved by it. And mm. I felt that the, especially the Filipino elements spoke to me like in a okay. way that I hadn't seen portrayed on film yeah. properly. And I just thought it was a very beautiful and special collection of stories that was very unique to Toronto. Yeah. Um, very unique to Canada, but it was also something where it would still resonate internationally. You know, hmm. the the issues surrounding diversity and how how people can all get along who come from different backgrounds. That's an issue facing everyone in the world right now. And yeah, and you know, Canada's kind of championed as this place of diversity, but how does that? diversity experiment actually play out yeah what's the real life experience yeah and what are what does it actually look like and and you know especially in these marginalized communities 
I'm curious because if let's say you wanted to show, like maybe I'm thinking too much into mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. Um, but you guys are obviously having the conversation as well. Um, is is the thought being both that it's there's different Scarboroughs for different people, mm-hmm. but also that it's it's too Toronto centric, but this story can be told in any city in North America maybe or in or in the Western world maybe in Europe as well, that you want the title to be more inclusive or more broad? I think that um, when Kath, you know, I, I try not to speak too much for Catherine. Sure. But from what I know, from what she's shared from us, with us, um, Scarborough is very much, the, the geography of the place is very much a character as well in the novel. Yes, yes. And so it's a place and also the idea of, it being a place is very important a place where all these different communities intermingle but also at the end of the book as you see we go back to the indigenous wisdom of the land essentially Mm, and that is what guides that is what guides the three children to deal with this tragedy that has happened um so the idea of place is very much important too to the story um and it just happens to be the place where it all takes place Interesting. I'm very looking forward to this movie coming out. <laughs> you I gotta s- wait. You gotta occupy s- yourself with other stuff. Because <laughs> I so enjoyed the book. It was it was a it was a great read. It was engaging. It was sad. Yeah, yeah. I also found it funny at points. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, very yeah. funny, oh, and yeah, I yeah. think that's what's fantastic about it. You know, it's it's it has everything. It, you know, it has it says a lot about many different issues but it also has heart a lot of heart and, i can see that teacher being a very funny role which one the, um miss hina the, the main yes the one that continually gets those letters from her boss saying stop doing this and yeah. yeah yeah i can see that one being a very, uh, but that could that could be interesting um in in all of this you're a female filmmaker and you touched on it a bit uh, and especially this story um scarborough um, your thoughts, um, you know, the whole Me Too movement and, and Time's Up, it seems that the entertainment industry mm-hmm. has been the epicenter for this. Mm-hmm. Um, that and politics, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, your thoughts and your experiences with, with all of this, are, are, we in, are we in a better place? Are we moving forward? Or is just everything, or is just the flashlight on all the problems now and we haven't really fixed anything uh it's a very important time to kind of force everybody to talk about these issues and and for people to force people to take action on them but of course these things are going to take a long time to fix Mm. um what's great is that we are making this project at a time when people want to hear stories that they haven't maybe heard before um but at the same time i don't like i if you look at my crew so far it's like all women women of color yeah um except for the one director who's a white guy and that's okay <laughs> like it's fine but you're essentially his boss because you're producing the movie right? i mean i'm the boss of him yes <laughs> everyone everyone who really knows us yes they know that i've been charged here <laughs> but, but you know he's bringing his own lens to the table as well having grown up in a low-income community in london okay um like 
dealing with poverty in a Canadian context. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily have that background. I'm, I'm bringing the Filipino-ness to the table. Yeah. Um, but it's a beautiful amalgamation of all these people with different backgrounds. And everyone is bringing something to the table. Yeah. Like, we're, we're not hiring anyone just because of, like, what race they are, what background they are. But it's a collection of many different things. Mm-hmm. And everybody is is pulling double duty and has many reasons why they're on the crew. But, yeah, yeah so far, it's it's a, it's a bunch of... Uh, I love hiring uh, women. <laughs> have, so you always been, have you always been like that? Or, or has, you know, recent activities... Uh, made you more bold to 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 do that now. Um, I just haven't had the opportunity to. Okay. Um, often in documentary you don't have a very large crew, and if you you don't have much selection either in terms of the landscape for maybe post production. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's I haven't had an opportunity to really have a big crew before. Yeah. And so yeah, this is. A great opportunity to have that, and also it's such a very multicultural story. It is, and so I have, I have, people we're bringing on board from every piece of that spectrum, mm-hmm. um, and that's important to me to keep things authentic and to have people who can speak up if if things aren't being done the right way. Yeah, um, yeah. So sure. it's just the, I've just have the opportunity now to have a, a great, diverse cast and cool. crew. So what what role should I prepare for? Uh, <laughs> you have to audition. Like I can't just Fine. give you a role, but you should We've maybe been here maybe for like almost an hour. I thought this was a good audition. Uh, no, no, you can maybe maybe you can audition for a dollar store manager or something. Sure, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to audition. I have to audition. You have I'll to send in that send in that headshot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep my eyes out on 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 the tweets. Um, what else are you working on right now? Um, I have two pro- two docs in development. Okay. Uh, with storyline. What are they about? Um, one I can't talk about yet, but one is about um, a filmmaker named Celeste Kuhn. Okay. As she journeys to the Arctic to find the glacier named after her mom before it melts forever. Whoa! <laughs> this is a true story. Yeah, and it's an animated documentary. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about. <coughs> I want to, as being a documentary, do you, do you identify as a documentarian? I'm just a filmmaker. A filmmaker? Yeah. It's okay. just the medium serves the story, really. Like I, like I said, I like horror. I like interactive storytelling mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah. What movies do you like watching? I have a huge yeah. range, but there always has to be hard. Any, anything recent? Oh man, that's a hard That one. you really like? I'm blanking. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did, did you... I watch recently in theaters? Oh, I can't remember. What did you think of the Netflix documentary make the making of a murderer? <clears throat> the making of a oh. murderer. What are your thoughts on that? I didn't watch season two. Did you? I haven't. No. I thought it was really boring. Season one. Yes. Really. Everybody was obsessed with it, and I, I was, was like. <laughs> I think it because I watched The Jinx before that, and The Jinx is so well-produced. What's The Jinx? Oh, that's a HBO murder mystery. True story crime, as well? True crime series. Wow, okay. Way better. Way better than Making a Murderer. Yeah? I think that's the problem, because I watched that you before. You watched something else? Yeah. Ah. Interesting. Okay, I was just curious what sort of, you know, what, what did you like, what didn't you like about Making making a Murderer? It was just very stale storytelling when okay. I watched it. Yeah? 
and it it drew it extent it could have been like maybe three episodes but it was like 11 or something Fair wasn't enough. it 11 it was 12? yeah i think it's something like that yeah okay now, i haven't seen i haven't seen season two there are just too many things on netflix to keep up I know, and that's the thing too. Like, well, sometimes, some days, I'm like, "Why am I even making anything?" Because there's too much. <laughs> People are too spoiled. They they think there's they know everything content. about everything, and yeah. then there's too much stuff. So, like, how are you even going to get people to watch it <laughs> without looking at their phone? That's so true. Actually, uh huh. What I recently watched was Halloween, the horror film. Yeah. Okay. That was like a while ago, but it was really fun. But I was very angry because. Four people in the theater had their phones on, like fully on, and they were just fully, like, on their phones in the film, and I was very sad. At concerts, that that shocks me. I'm like, what the heck are you doing on your phone? The dude's over there playing guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Get off of your phone. That is crazy. Yeah. That is so crazy. I went to see Jack White over the summer. And now at his concerts, you gotta lock your phone. Oh, away that's good. In, in a pouch. See, I want, I want to do that. Yeah. I do that. I try to do that when I work, when I'm like in deep work. Mode. Okay, sure. Yeah. Like, too much. Like, yeah. how are you, how are you doing a live video and you're on set? Like, what? You don't need to be connected all <laughs> the you time. You hire someone to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and even on Sunday, I went to see Gordon Lightfoot, um, and it was just a polite announcement at the beginning of the concert. Uh, no photography or film at this, and like no one took out. I didn't see anyone take out their phone, except right at the end when he's walking off stage. All really the, quick. All the phones but came But they were up. really quick. Yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was at the end. You're gonna get kicked out right at the end. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. You know. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for, for having me. You're welcome. It's we, been a, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> now you know about my entire life, and I don't know anything about your life. Well, you can make a documentary. <laughs> Oh right, we have to cast you, and then you have to. I, I can. You can. I'll just be it. I'll just be it. And thank you, everyone, for for listening. Uh, for more independent podcasts, go to girthradio.com. And thank you so much for the Pacific Junction Hotel uh, for letting us use their space. If you want to listen to more podcasts and conversations like this, go to creamkanji.com, and you can listen to my chats with uh, people like actress Kelly McCormack. A DJ, director, and producer, D.W. Watterson, as well as actress and musician, Abigail Winter. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Shasha, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.